0: What's up, everybody? Matt Kajeski here, back again with the Odd Shopper channel. Today, we're talking college basketball. It's Super Tuesday, February the 27th. Before we get started, make sure to hit that thumbs-up button, subscribe to the channel, and hit the notification bell so you know when this and all other content goes live. We're also brought to you by BetMGM. They have a limited-time offer for those of you in legal states, with the exception of New York, Nevada, and Puerto Rico, what you'll do is click the link in the video description below, make your first deposit of at least $5, turn that $5 around, make a wager on any team, total, market, whatever you want, you're getting $150 in the form of bonus bets. That's $150 you didn't have, You can use it on whatever you like, conference tournaments coming up, March Madness coming up, we're less than three week, weeks away from Selection Sunday, use this to your advantage. You must be 21 or older to play in most areas. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, please call or text 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, let's circle back to yesterday. We had a nice triple header in the Power Six conferences, some good mid-majors. Successful day overall. We were on the right side of West Virginia, Baylor, and the North Carolina under. Not too much to see in those games. Baylor, they rebound off the Houston overtime loss over the weekend. West Virginia, I think, continues to be a team that is undervalued with all the injuries they sustained throughout the year. That, that game was ugly at times, though. I'm not going to pat myself on the back too much. West Virginia, they're going to have to grease out some games if they're going to make any sort of run in the Big 12 tournament, anything like that. And North Carolina, a bit of a disappointment. That game was never really in, I guess, threat of them losing. But having Miami crawl their way back at the end is a bit concerning from them. Otherwise, hit Lamar against McNeese, NC Central. A couple greasy ones that did not come in. Overs in Texas, Southern Pine Bluff, Prairie View, A&M, Mississippi Valley. And then Alabama State could not cover the three against Bethune-Cookman. But let's turn the page. We're going to do six or so games here. We'll kick things off with the power conferences and then kind of work our way towards some of the greasier ones. First one, NC State takes on Florida State. Like a home team here in Florida State, took the two, Two a halfs are popping up. No issues with those. Florida State is a team that has battled some injury recently. Darren Green is the main player to highlight here. He returned in their last contest after missing their two previous games. And Florida State has put together a pretty good resume of late. They're a team that did not start out the year all that strong. But since conference plays got underway, they have played a little bit better. So diving into the stylistics, the efficiency metrics. NC State has the advantage on offense. it's 86 to 112. defensive efficiency, we're 77 to 53. And when you look into some of the stats, some of this has changed over the course of the year, especially with the Florida State side. They're a team that's gotten much better and especially an effective field goal percentage. They're 148th over the last six weeks, whereas NC State is 242. NC State's been a team that's had trouble hitting shots of late, and I'm not sure this is really going to change for this team. Whereas Florida State has actually gotten better on defense, and despite their recent losing streak has shown themselves to be pretty decent in in recent play, their losses, two of their last three at least, are against Duke and Clemson, which is the top of the conference. They had a third and fourth to VT, Virginia Tech and Virginia. So, it's been very tough sledding for them of late. Whereas NC State's kind of been the opposite. They beat Boston College, loose to Syracuse, beat Clemson by one. That's a formidable win, but then losses to Pitt and Wake Forest. As far as the stylistics in this game go, aside from just recent play, Florida State is a much bigger lineup than NC State. And I think this is always going to be the problem for the Wolfpack when they face teams like this. DJ Burns is just not cutting it on the inside. And I know they're playing Diara more, he's been fine. We've seen the rug pulled on Diara multiple times this year, where he's at 30 minutes a game and then suddenly he plays 12. So I'm really hesitant to buy into the Diara stuff. But Florida State's 19th in effective height. Jameer Watkins is playing awesome on the inside. This team defends the interior pretty well. And with NC State, you just can't shoot the ball. Again, 200th in effective field goal on the year. That number has dropped to 248 in the last six weeks. Just can't shoot whatsoever. No interior presence with DJ Burns, just continually outclassed. And I, They actually have rebounding advantages over FSU, which is surprising to me. But I think this is just FSU's lack of, I guess, willingness to attack the offensive glass. I'm not sure what it is, but I don't really view this as being a major advantage NC State's direction. Expecting this to move through two, maybe three. So we'll back Florida State at the minus two. Next up, we'll head to the Big Ten and we turn to Wisconsin. Wisconsin battling Indiana, I am breaking my own rule and backing Wisconsin here. This is going to move, that's the main reason. So, you got to talk to yourself, ask yourself, you know the line is going to move. It's a team that's extremely inconsistent in Wisconsin and do you take it? The answer for me is always yes, take your closing line value when you can get it. This is going to move. Wisconsin basically has every advantage over Indiana and I don't see it being particularly close if there's one place Indiana could probably exploit Wisconsin, it's on the inside. Actually respect the front court of Indiana with Ware and Renault and Embarco. Wisconsin is 266th at interior defense. I do not know why they can't get better minutes out of Stephen crawler Tyler Wall, but that's just flat out the case. These guys are not defending the interior well whatsoever. And then Wisconsin's 322nd at defending the perimeter. The only reason their numbers are decent on defense is turnovers mainly, which that is an advantage of their direction. We'll talk about that in a second. But ultimately... Even with the weaknesses inside, crawl, and wall defensively, they're pretty good on the offensive end. And you haven't gotten great minutes out of Renault Ware, Yabaco, on the defensive end for Indiana either. They're 107th in both offensive and defensive efficiency. They don't defend well. And Wisconsin should have an advantage in the backcourt, even if this frontcourt is neutralized. Wisconsin, 171 in three-point percentage, not great, and honestly should be a lot better considering they have a siege in who they won't play store who's not really a three-point shooter and Klesman, who's streaky at best hepburn just flat out can't shoot but indiana's 243 and defending the three so i mean you should have openings to potentially hit some and you still don't have xavier johnson for indiana the main point guard gabe cups is essentially playing four on five so even though wisconsin's a flawed team they just have so many advantages in this spot hitting the road not to mention For whatever reason, Indiana being 20th in effective height ranks, 199th in total rebounding. Wisconsin, meanwhile, 13th in effective height, 40th in rebounding. That's a major edge there. The turnover margin favors Wisconsin heavily. Indiana's guards cannot defend, and Wisconsin never turns the ball over. Fouling favors Wisconsin. This team generates the 12th most fouls. Indiana constantly in foul trouble. We've seen this recently with Renault and Baco and Ware have all been in foul trouble separately. You lose one of those guys, I mean, you are just – hemorrhaging talent if you go down the roster any sort of foul trouble indiana is cooked in this spot we'll back wisconsin with the three and a half here next up big 12 time byu takes on kansas this is a game with a close-ish spread it's moving a little bit mainly because of the i have interest in the total more so than the spread which comes in at seven currently i mean this will likely change But I think it over is fine in this spot. Both teams have actually played faster than their season-long pace. So if you dive into this, you've got two teams right around the top 100 in pace. BYU is 98th. Kansas is 108th. And since they started conference play, really since over the last six weeks, BYU's jumped to 89th in tempo. Kansas is 82nd. So you do see steps forward for these teams. Effective field goal percentage solid for them across the board. With Kansas, you see them coming in at 24th. BYU is 21st. You lost the best defender on Kansas outside of Dickinson. That's Kevin McCuller, which is kind of saying a lot. He's not the best defender, but he is the second best defender on this team. He's out of this game, so potentially more openings for BYU. And then last, neither of these teams can defend the successful parts of the opposing offense. Kansas is awesome on the inside with Dickinson. They're 18th in two-point percentage. BYU is 146 defending that area. Then Kansas, very strong defending the inside. 140th defending the three, BYU shoots the fourth most threes in the country. Rebounding should be pretty neutral here. You do have advantages, Kansas' is direction height-wise. But BYU plays a decently tall lineup, which kind of also makes their interior defense inexcusable. But other than that, turnover should be pretty clean. Foul margin should be pretty clean here. I think it over hits overhits with the pacing, increasing both teams, failing to defend the opposing team's strengths. To the SEC, Kentucky takes on Mississippi State. This is one we need to focus on shopping the line. You can find potential edges both directions. This is narrative galore. We're going to talk a couple narrative spots here, so bear with me. Kentucky at plus four is the number I want, or four and a half if you can find it. Check out Odd Shopper. The link is below the name of this channel. What it allows you to do is filter by state, by book, whatever it is, highly customizable, and it's giving you the best line. makes a huge difference at the end of the day, especially in big games like this with close, efficient spreads where you need the extra half point to find some value, which is the case here. We also have a market-based approach. These tools allow you to find plus EV betting spots, not just in basketball, NHL, props, whatever it is you want to attack. And our Discord's now included, all in one package. It's $14.95 for your first week. $49.95 Forty nine ninety five for a month, no long-term commitments. Check it out. I think it will make a big difference. But so we talk about Kentucky, Mississippi State here. Mississippi State has been a pleasant surprise. They can't play on the road. So this is classic road, home, narrative, bro, stuff. Kentucky has actually played well on the road. So it doesn't even really fit. This team beat Auburn, killed Auburn. It was a double-digit victory on the road. Beat Vandy on the road, beat Arkansas on the road. Be Florida on the road earlier this year, just at the turn of the new year. They have plenty of wins away from home. That has not been a problem for Kentucky. Meanwhile, Mississippi State continues to mess with their rotation. This is tricky. You had Tolu Smith come back. He starts playing 30 minutes immediately. Now he's down at like 25. They lost Jeffries for a while. He's working his way back into the lineup. Cam Matthews, Deshaun Davis, Shaquille Moore have all been up and down in terms of minutes. So the first concern I have is minutes. Who's playing what minutes? Who's on the floor for Mississippi State? I don't know. Second is, you have a tall team in Kentucky. This team can contend with Tolu Smith in the height that Mississippi State has. And Mississippi State isn't even that tall. They're 100th in effective height. So you see things like 18th and rebounding. Kentucky, depending on who they field, they change their lineup a lot, and they change their minutes a lot. This could be neutralized. On Yeso, he's a 7-footer. Only played mid-20s minutes last time. That's because they put Ivasic on the floor for whatever reason after playing two minutes the game prior. But they have the size if they want to. So rebounding, I don't see as a major advantage in Mississippi State's direction. Offense is no question. Kentucky is one of the best offenses in the country. They're number one in three-point percentage in the entire country overall. Getting better minutes inside too, 43rd in two-point percentage, eighth in effective field goal. Mississippi State can't score. They're 141 in effective field goal. They win through their defense. It went through creating turnovers. Luckily, Kentucky's ninth in turnovers committed. This team never turns the ball over. It's a tough matchup. Now, it's on the road. Kentucky, you know, they played the 100-point game against Bama this weekend, basically an NBA game. But as far as, you know, like situational spot, I'm definitely not as worried about this as some other people are. And, I mean, Mississippi State, I do think, is seeding a lot of talent in this game. We didn't even talk about the Kentucky guards, just flame throwing from three this year. So I like the four. I would not take a three and a half. I would not take anything below a four, but I do think a four is fine. All right, we'll go to the Mountain West. A pivotal game in this conference. Nevada takes on Colorado State. I mean, Colorado State's kind of in free fall. They've lost three of their last four games and they need this one coming home. A lot of those were on the road, so it's it's tough to like fault them in spots like this, but this team should be better. This is a similar situation one we just talked about with Kentucky you've got the ultimate narrative bro spot with Colorado State returning home after losing three of their last four and you have Nevada on the second leg of a road trip to Colorado States I mean you're going to Colorado Springs here after you just played San Jose I don't really care San Jose State is basically a bye week so I mean what's really the look ahead here you go to San Jose you kill them by 21 points Plenty of time to prepare to go up to Colorado State, who you can kind of look ahead to. I mean, I don't really see it. And then there's tons of advantages. Not tons. There are some advantages for Nevada where I think this should be closer in terms of spread. You can look at the efficiency metrics on the screen. You basically have slight edges, Colorado State's direction in all of them, except rebounding. We'll talk about that height in a second. But when you isolate the last six weeks, it's actually the opposite. Colorado State has played worse than Nevada on offense the defensive metrics do favor Colorado State still but effective field goal percentage over the last six weeks Nevada's 50th Colorado State is 148th. this team has actually struggled to score a little bit more than you might think they're seeding tons of size in this matchup Nevada is 128th in effective height and they're 104th in rebounding Colorado State is 319th in effective height 169th in rebounding Colorado State does have decent bodies inside, but they're still outside the top 100 at interior defense. Nevada's been fine scoring there. And Nevada's actually a little bit stronger on defense. I think when you just isolate, you know, turnovers forced. When you look at Nevada, they're 87th on the interior. Colorado State's 100th. From three, Nevada's 48th. Colorado State is 169th. You have good shooters on this Nevada team too. Blackshear, Lucas, this is not an easy matchup whatsoever. And then you start looking at some of the turnover stuff. Margin favors Nevada here slightly, very slight. And then number two, Nevada is number two in the country at forcing fouls. Colorado State is one one eightieth in fouls committed. This is another area to at least monitor in this game. So I think this has gone too far. Like you're going to give me seven and a half points with Nevada. I think it's similar to the previous game where you want every single one of these because of the situational stuff. But man, these game like. I cross, so I made this around four. I cross-reference it with Ken Palm, which I don't always do, but that's at five. Like, unless there's an injury I'm not privy to, this is just too many points in favor of Colorado State right now. Nevada, despite being on the road, seven and a half is just too many. Let's go to our last one, a greasy game here. George Mason takes on Fordham. I don't know what George Mason needs to do to be favored by more than one and a half points in this spot. They hold every single advantage, and it's not even close. Offense, 85 to 228. Defense, 123 to 145. Rebounding, 44 to 143. All of the recent play stuff favors George Mason. Effective field goals, 85 to 282. Interior scoring, 97 to 278. Three-point percentage, 92 to 267. All the defensive metrics also favor George Mason. They're 14th on the inside. Fordham, 98th from three. It's 285 to 350 effective height, 172 to 261, no injuries. I mean, this this should just speak for itself. The line is just flat out incorrect. One and a half is a gift and probably the best one on the board. All right, quick rapid fire, I guess, to close this. Some other ones I'm interested in. Eastern Illinois, SIU Edwardsville, if you can find a plus one and a half, I think that's interesting. Under and in Utah State, Fresno's interesting to me at 144. Also the under in SIU Edwardsville, Eastern Illinois, that's 140 and a half. And Loyola Chicago, St. Bonaventure under 140 and a half to close this out. If you have a question, please leave a comment below or reach out to me on Twitter at Matt underscore gajeski. DMs are open. Thank you guys for watching, and we will see you next time.